I'm David W. Berner, and this is The Writer Shed. It's a glorious day in the neighborhood here today. Great weather, lots of sunshine. Uh, It's in the, uh, what's close to 50 degrees on the uh, latter days of November. In the shed here, I uh, bought a new lamp, a standing floor lamp for the desk. Uh, Lighting here at night sometimes can be, uh, well, kind of ghostly at times, so I wanted something a little better. Not like an operating room, but, you know, something a little bit better, so we've got that brand new light in here. And of course, We are leaning into the holidays here, too. That's all coming up soon. In this episode, Elle Griffin. She's a novelist, but in the new and kind of old way. She's serializing her novel on an online platform. Now, this is not necessarily a new thing, but one platform is getting plenty of publicity these days about the approach to offering novels to the world, and that is Substack. There's a buzz about this platform these days because Salman Rushdie and Fight Club author Chuck Palahniuk are serializing their new novels on Substack, offering their chapters one at a time for price. Griffin is a novelist of American Gothic, you might call it, with a touch of the classic French Gothic thrown in there. And she she is our guest today because she has thrown herself into this endeavor with all she has, and has been sharing her experience with other writers. So, Al, I really appreciate you coming to this podcast today because I, first of all, I've read several of the chapters that you put out there, but um, I just think this phenomenon that you've undertaken, and I don't know if phenomenon is the right word, but certainly the new way to put work out there is really interesting. So, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your kind of sort of creative life? And then we'll get into this whole serialized novel that you've uh, embarked on. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for having me, first of all. This is so awesome. Um, But so I'm a writer by trade. I'm a journalist for profession, writing mostly about um, startups in the business world for Forbes and Insider and those kind of publications. Um, I'm the editor of a tech publication here uh, where I live called Utah Business. And, um, but just as a personal hobby, I've been really into um, really, really old classic novels, I guess you could say. Um, I just- So, well, so what, before, you, before you move on, what do you consider an old classic novel? Well, it started with French literature. Really, it started with Les Miserables. Um, I just, I think it was several years ago, I don't remember when, um, I just decided I was going to finally read all of these books I've always wanted to read. And I made myself a list that was like Les Miserables, The Count of Monte Cristo, Dracula, like all of those kind of books. Um, And so, you know, Les Miserables and Monte Cristo alone took me like a year to read those two books because they're really big. (laughs) Yeah. And I just loved them. And I read Dracula and the picture of Dorian Gray and kind of just got really obsessed with these sort of old Gothic novels. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I ran out and I just kept thinking, I wish I had one more, uh, you know, Gothic novel written in the French style, you know, post French revolution. And, um, but maybe with a female main character, because that doesn't really exist back then. Yeah. And so, and I thought maybe an Americana setting because we didn't, there wasn't really a lot of those. So, so I decided that I was going to write one myself and I just, I took three years and I wrote this novel that was 
Um, so kind of old omniscient narrator that knows everything and and is kind of talking, telling what's going on and this kind of slow creeping unfolding of a novel. Sure. And you have serialized it in a way that, you know, your followers in a way certainly get an update. And it's almost like a, you know, like a streaming television limited series kind of approach. Is that, you know, would, would that be a way to describe it? Yeah, exactly. So um, I'm a little bit of a geek and I just was really geeking out on this stuff. Once I finished my book, I just was wondering, okay, well, now what do I do with it? And I did originally pitch it to agents and do, do the traditional route. I think I pitched the book to a hundred different agents um, and just got a lot of passes. And as I'm researching the publishing industry and figuring out how best to publish it, I realized, well, I know exactly why agents aren't interested in my strange little Gothic novel that's written like it's in the 1700s, because um, that's not what sells today. And um, in fact, 0.01% of books sell more than 100,000 copies, um, and 96% of books sell less than 1,000 copies. So yeah, I, I, I was at a conference a few years ago. I think it was after my first book was published, and I and I you know, that was a something that was brought up in the, in the middle of the conference. I was like, well, that really feels great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's that's the reality of it. Yeah. Dream of being a novelist for a living is just really a pipe dream. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but as I was kind of thinking about that, I realized that yeah, the big publishing companies, they're looking for that 0.01% of books that's going to sell more than 100,000 copies. And a strange little gothic novel is not that. I think right. yeah. I think I am going to be on the end of having 1,000 copies sold. But yet um, there is but yet there is a market for it. There are people who want to read this kind of stuff. I, I had an agent say to me one time on something I pitched to them was like, this is a beautifully written book. I love it. I can't sell it. So yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, right? Yeah. So, um, exactly. but there's a market for it, and it's in maybe the serialization through uh, through the platform that you're using. Maybe that's the way that this is. This is a new way to do it. Well, and that's exactly it. Is it's actually not a new way. It's an old way. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and actually, my heroes. So, The Count of Monte Cristo was serialized when it came out, and. Um, I thought that that was really fascinating. So basically, The Count of Monte Cristo was debuted in a French newspaper um, called Le Debat, and it was in the feuilleton section. So it was like when you got your newspaper, the top half of the newspaper was the news, and then you fold it over, and the bottom half is the newest installment of The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, cool. Um, And he published it in 18 installments over the course of two years. And the newspaper itself only had 10,000 paying subscribers, but that was enough for, um, you know, to that small amount of people reading it was enough to make it like it was Game of Thrones at the time. You know, everyone was like, those 10,000 people in Paris who were reading it every week would be talking to each other like, oh my gosh, did you just read what happened to Edmund Dantes in the latest installment? Um, And we actually have a tracking of of Alexander Dumas and what he earned. And he was earning an annual salary of $200,000 to $400,000 a year um, in today's dollars writing this. Goodness, Um, that, wow. Yeah, yeah, and, and you, you brought up, it's a really good point to bring up that this is really not a new way in, in yeah. a sense. 
just new platforms for it, right? Yeah. Um, but I think wasn't didn't Dickens and um, I think one of, one of Hemingway's was, was serialized in Life magazine or something. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Dickens um, serialized Great Expectations. All yeah. of Sherlock Holmes was serialized. Um, like people were just following these in their newspapers. Yeah, that is fascinating. I find that fascinating. And we've, we've, well, you have, you know, turned the old and the new again. Now tell us about the, the platform you're using and how people get involved with this. How do they find it? How do they get involved with sinking themselves into this book? Yeah, so I think that um, what's interesting is that kind of over time, ever you know, we changed the way that we published ever since Alexander Dumas's time and Charles Dickens's time, and now it's like we just drop one book at once for like five dollars on Kindle, and obviously you're not going to make a living from that because. It's just one sudden drop and you just millions of people are doing that every year. And that's just like not, not a big enough sales cycle. So I was just thinking, okay, if we go back to that initial initial way where we're dropping one chapter at a time, then people are paying a monthly subscription fee instead of paying a $5 for the whole thing. Yeah. Thing. So yeah. There's a natural platform that works well for that today, and it's called Substack. And why I think it's ideal for fiction is that essentially it's a newsletter platform, and I can have as many free newsletter subscribers as I want. I can have you know 10,000 or 100,000 newsletter subscribers and not have to pay for this newsletter um, software. Um, but I can charge my subscribers for a, a paid-only installment a subscription mm-hmm. fee. Yeah. So like right now, for example, I have 3,500 free subscribers and I have 41 paid. Um, and I've made, I've made $3,500 from my first um, 12 chapters are out now. And I'm still releasing, you know, a chapter every week until I'll, I'll have 42 when we're done. That's um, amazing. That is amazing. That's so fun. Yeah. 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 I mean, I can hear it in your voice that you're loving this process. The smile in your in your voice. <laughs> uh, it, it, it was. Yeah. Was it surprising to you? Um. Well, I think it's. I think I'm still. I just kind of feel like I'm still learning a lot. I don't actually know what's going to happen. How this is all going to end up. Um. And since I've been focusing now on building my writing fiction now. It is a smaller audience than writing nonfiction. You know, my free newsletter is me about, I'm writing about the process of serializing my novel. Yeah, okay, um, Which sure. kind of attracts a wider base. And then the people who are actually interested in this odd little Gothic novel is a much smaller audience, but because they're paying a monthly or annual subscription fee, I'm earning more per subscriber than I would be if I sold it on Kindle, which yeah, yeah. is not surprising. So what do you what do you know about the people who are um, the paid subscribers and getting the, the chapters? What do, do you have a do you have a are you able to see the sort of demographics and the kind of books they like? And are you able to get that feel? Well, I can say that. So I have two paid tiers. I, it's like fifty dollars a year if you just want to subscribe to get the weekly chapter of my book. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's $200 a year if you want to get the print hardcover edition, like a collector's copy at the end. Oh, cool. Um, and I would say that probably all of the people 
Well, I can actually pull up my stats. Let me let me look to. Well, I really like that idea. I'm going to steal this. Are you okay with that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love the idea of having this collector's copy. That's a really cool idea. Yeah, I yeah. wanted it to be like those old novels that I love and just have this kind of old looking book. Um, and it's the first thing I thought of when you said collector's copy. I was look, thinking of, you know, the original printing of Les Miserables or something, you know. Yes. Uh, yeah, that that yeah. very sort of gothic uh, French, um, I don't know what else to call it, um, sort of Renaissance looking approach. Yeah. Yes. Like I was thinking like um, uh, A Christmas Carol, that original red leather with gold embossing. Like, oh, how cool is that? Yeah. So is that something you're going to do? You're going to outsource, obviously, to, to do that part of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there's a lot of different book printing companies you can use. Um, I think I'm using one called Edition Books. Um, Edition One is what it's called. Okay. Cool. And I think I have um, one, two, three, four, five, six. I have seven subscribers in the $200 a year category, and four of those are my family members. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how you get started. That's how you get started. You know, yeah. You know. And then, um, I've yeah, I mean, that's how and it's funny you say that because, you know, the the Charles Dickens of the world, when they were serializing these things 200 years ago or whatever, um, you know, their family members and their friends were the ones that bought them then, too. So we act like that's some weird thing now, but it's really not. Right. right? It's very much the same process. And the 41 subscribers I have at the $50 a year range, um, they're not all friends and family, but I've feel that I know them kind of because they've been following my newsletter now and they share my newsletter on Twitter and they comment on my discord. We have a discord community where we all talk and um, they comment on all of my newsletters. And so I feel like the people that all paid to become subscribers are like excited about what I'm doing and already have gotten to know me through my newsletter to the point that I already, that I even recognize them when they come in as paid because I've, I've noticed them on my subscriber list. So it's almost so, like their community, a tighter knit community. Yeah, yeah I can understand that. And, and you know what, I, I, I was teaching a class the other day and we were talking about how an author or a creative type of any way um, should interact with their the consumers of their products, you know, I hate to put it that way, but, you know, consumers yeah. of their art or work. Um, and to a T, these are all fairly young people. Um, to a T, they said, we want more personal interaction because yeah. that's the way they live now. Everything, you know, the, the Snapchat, the Instagram, the social media feel like they know people, even though if it's only in tiny snippets, and it probably isn't that they really know people, but they, they feel like they're making this sort of intimate connection. Yeah, uh, And that seems to be the thing that drives a lot of um, people feeling as if they're part of the process. Yeah, uh, And I think well, that you've hooked onto that a little bit. Gen Z is definitely like that. I mean, I think millennials and above um, kind of grew up with Kindle and hardcover books at bookstores and things like that. But Gen Z is not reading they're not reading books that got recommended to them by the New York Times. Gen Z is like following people on social media and reading their books. Right. Um, so it's definitely, um, I think that the community aspect 
is going to be a huge part of publishing going forward. If you're if you're just like, I'm going to be gone for five years to write my next book, by the time your next book comes out, everyone will have forgotten about you. Yeah, some other things are. But you, have, you, have you, um, do you get the sense because of the genre of your novel, if you want to kind of compartmentalize it or label it in some way, which I don't like doing sometimes because I think there's so much out there these days that I don't know where it would go on a shelf in a bookstore. I know. Um, but... Do you, because of the sort of nature of the story, of uh, the narrative, do you do you get a sense or do you understanding that most of the people that are reading this are younger? I don't think so. I think okay. most of them are my age. So okay. Well, I don't mean to ask what your age is, but I'm guessing what, 35, 30? Yeah, I'm 36. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I find that interesting because, you know, if you look at the statistics from publishing companies, the people who buy books tend to be tend to be women and they tend to be older than 40. Mm-hmm. So is that a, a, a platform that is skewing too old now? Do you know what I mean? Like, is that where we're going? Unless it's a very special book, if it's Harry Potter or it's uh, something like that. Um, it's really hard to get anybody under 30 to buy a book. Well, but I think, I know, and I think I've been, I'm experimenting with this a lot because I think that Gen Z is going to change the way we read and we're still figuring out what that's going to look like. But I think if you, if you think along the lines of that, every book, every book that's ever published probably has at least 1000 people who would like it, mm-hmm. then, um, then it makes sense that those are all going to be tiny little communities of people reading a book. My book is going to, my book is going to attract people to it that are other people like me. And maybe there's only a thousand of us in the world, but if a thousand people are paying a hundred dollars a year to subscribe, then that's a good living. Yeah, that's true. So it can be done. I think it's, but so I think it's going to be more focused on everyone's reading the little niche things that they read. And you'll be a part of community with other people that read those same things. And if you subscribe over time, then that person could even make a living doing it. Do you think the genre here or the niche, as you call it, is what's helping you? Is it mean, I mean, let's put it this way. Would a, you know, a very sort of literary fiction novel do as well? Um, I think my, I think if anything, my genre hurts me. Oh, really? <laughs> because I'm, I'm not writing romance. I'm not writing mystery. I'm not writing those novels that sell the huge, huge amounts. I'm, I would say the people that are into Gothic novels are very, very small. In fact, I don't even think Gothic is a genre anymore. When I had yeah. to yeah. pitch my book to publishers, I was basically having to look at the horror category. Yeah. And my book's not scary. It's slow and creeping like the Count of Monte Cristo is or like Dracula is. Um, but it's not scary. It's not a horror book at all. And yet that's kind of the best, my best bet for a traditional shelf bookshelf. You know, and that's exactly what I was saying before. It's really hard to place some work out there on shelves. I don't know where you put some of the stuff. There's so much like auto fiction out there now, you know, um, that sort of, uh, memoir fiction, you know, the stuff that's out there from Kanosgard and some others that's, you know, it's what is it? I don't know what you call that stuff, you know? So how do you put that on a shelf? Um, and, but the thing of it is, I guess my reason I asked that question about whether you thought, you know, the genre was helping or hurting you because 
if you really like what you're doing, then there's a, I don't mean you, I mean, the people who are reading it. Mm-hmm. If you really like that sort of um, novel or storyline or narrative, then you're going to seek it out. You know what I mean? Um, and that little community is going to find it. It's like people who like, you know, a certain kind of jazz, they're going to go to the club that has that certain kind of jazz, right? Yeah. You know, exactly. I feel like that's the same sort of thing. Exactly. I, I think that's exactly the case. You're just, you're into the things that you're into and you'll like other people that like that too. And that's eventually how we'll all find books. I think. Right. Right. So about the creative process of this, is this book that you have, is it already done or are you, like you said, your, your newsletter is about the process of working through it. So I'm assuming that not all of it is done. So my first novel is done. The one that's currently serializing. My goal was to write a sec- my second novel at the same time my first novel was publishing so I could see that, so I could see if it was possible for me to write live with mm-hmm. my next one. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that it is because um, I'm very behind. <laughs> okay. I'm on like chapter 12 of publishing my first book and I'm six chapters into writing my second book. So. Well, it's spoken like a true writer who's always has an editor saying, uh, hello, I need that stuff. Uh, hello, deadline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think I'm going to, I like having the backlog. Um, I know that a lot of people that, so there are about 15 authors who make their full-time living serializing their novels using Patreon. Um, and what they do is, is they are doing it full time. So they write live, but they can because they've got a deadline every Friday to send out a new chapter to their audience, but that's all they're doing in the week is writing that one chapter. You know, I've got, I have a full-time job, so I can't do that. Yeah. I think it's a a fascinating way to get work out there. And like you say, it's just an old way, new, new purpose, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I find it, fascinating and yeah, i mean you're not the only one doing it but i just found right. it interesting that you were doing it on substack because yeah. that's a relatively new platform for this kind of work i find it refreshing because it's um you you don't need back to what i said before you don't need a shelf to put something somewhere it's just you hunt around you find some very wonderfully processed narratives and stories and you know, I follow Patty Smith, the musician on there too, and she'll do a song from time to time. I mean, yeah. it's really, really wonderful. Yeah, that's so cool. I, I That's what I love about Substack. And there's a whole fiction category now. And since I've started publishing my novel, I mean, Salman Rushdie is now publishing a novel on Substack. Um, Chuck Palladnick, however you pronounce his last name, of Fight Club mm-hmm. is publishing his current novel on Substack. Yeah. So there's definitely, um, I, I started following a book recently on Substack. Um, it's called Tick, 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 Boom is what it's called. Mm. Uh, or no, sorry, Tick, Tick, Gone. And it's about a TikTok star that it suddenly went missing and everyone's like looking through her social media uh, feeds to try to find out what happened to her. And it's like a mystery. And, and that's, I think, a perfect, that works out perfectly for Substack because each week you're uncovering new details about the case. But um, yeah, and I, I agree with you. And that's the kind of thing that fits into that, you know, sort of what yeah. the modern day reader might be finding interesting. Yeah. But, you know, to your point um, and to your what you're doing, we all have to write 
what we what we write. I, I really don't like when I hear writers say, well, I'm going to try to like make this for the market. Right. You know what I mean? I don't, please yeah. don't do that. I, I, I want you to write what you believe is in your soul. Don't, don't try to meet the marketplace, write your stuff and then find places like you did that you can tap into that, that, that body of people out there who want that sort of thing. Yeah. That to me is a much more organic and, and authentic way of processing your work. I mean, I like, I could never write for the market because I don't like reading books that are at the market. I don't think I've (laughs) liked a book that came on to the New York times bestseller list since like maybe the Da Vinci code. I I liked that one. Yeah. I'm I'm right. I'm right there with you. I know that. I read strange, weird things and I write strange, weird things. And I would rather, it makes sense to me to attract people that like to read strange, weird things and do that instead of focus on everybody loves crime fiction or everybody loves romance novels. Like the reality is if only a hundred people subscribe to my newsletter on an ongoing basis at $5 a month, I'll be earning $5,000 a month as a fiction author. Yeah. So it's a small, small community. So kind of that's sort of my goal with my writing is if I can just attract the 1000 people that would like the kind of things I like to write, then that's perfect. That would be the dream. Well, keep writing those weird and strange things because <laughs> I think it's a really cool process. I love what you're doing. I, I love that you're, uh, you can tell that you love it too, that you like it, that you're enjoying it. Um, and that's, I think that's, you know, a big part of it. Thank you. <laughs> now, one last thing I want you to tell everybody where they can find this, how they can get it, the name of the novel that's out there now, at least, and where they can find you on Substack. Yep. So my, um, you can find me at lgriffin.substack.com. My Gothic novel is called Obscurity and it is about a mysterious woman who appears in 1792 New Orleans, the richest plantation owner in all the South. Uh, but strange occurrences start ensuing in her wake and we kind of start to unravel who she is as the book goes. Um, so you can subscribe to that at lgriffin.substack.com. The first four or I guess five chapters are free to anybody. And then you'll have to pay after that. Wow. I mean, what a great city to have an American uh, Gothic novel in, right? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Can't get better than that. Yeah. All right. Elle, thank you again. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. love this approach. Elle's got me thinking about what I might do now. already have a Substack newsletter and essays coming weekly on that, but a novel? Hmm. I kind of think the idea is intriguing. This has been episode 21 of The Writer's Shed. I'm David W. Berner. Our music is from iRay Music, production and interviews inside the shed. You can find out more about Writer's Shed Press at writershedpress.com and at The Writer's Shed on Medium. You can also sign up for our newsletter there and find us on Twitter at Writer's Shed Press. The Writer's Shed, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.